my role for our team is I'm our research director in data analysis. And uh, we have, uh, so coordinate research projects to really practice evidence-based medicine. Before we go implementing a new, new uh, product into the field, uh, we wanna make sure that we have sound scientific data that this is gonna make an improvement into the efficiencies of the animals. So not just something that's from really from a test tube lab, like, uh, you know, the idea, like more the rubber meets the road. And so coordinate and um, execute, uh, looking at new vaccines, feed additives, antibiotic treatments, looking how we use some of those treatments, management strategies, dewormers, implants, anything under the sun from how, how we can look at these practices to make more informed decisions. And, and you know, a lot of these things we, we've learned that maybe more is not always better. Um, and, uh, so it's beneficial to the producer's bottom line as well um, to, to how we figure out to, as well as the cattle. So it's a win-win for everyone there. A whole new era of communication in the beef industry is coming. Now, you have the brightest minds of the global beef industry right in your pocket. And what's best? You can listen to all of them while driving to the farm, traveling, or running errands. It's never been this good, and it's never been this simple. We want to thank the innovative companies and products whose support and trust make this podcast possible. High D from DSM Firminish can help your cattle get the vitamin D they need this winter. Healthy Farms by Bioverse, your manure management experts. Contact us for time and labor-saving solutions. Welcome to the Beef Podcast Show, a weekly podcast where you'll find cutting-edge insights and everything that's working in the global beef industry. Data shows most cattle don't get the vitamin D they need, especially in winter months. High D from DSM Firmanish can ensure your cattle get the recommended vitamin D level to support bone strength, help immunity, and improve performance. Visit dsm.com forward slash hy-d to learn more. Welcome to the Beef Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Brandy Buzzard, and it's my pleasure to bring you the trending issues and topics with the best and brightest minds of the beef industry. Today, we're joined by my very good friend, Dr. Miles Thurr. Dr. Thurr earned his bachelor's in animal science, his DVM, and his PhD in diagnostic medicine and pathobiology, all from Kansas State University. He's the research director at Veterinary Research and Consulting Services, and is here to tell us all about the importance of research, data, and decision-making. So I'm very excited to welcome my friend um, to the podcast. Welcome here today, Miles. Hello, Brandy. Good to catch up again. So I'm looking forward to the discussion today. Yeah, we were talking before, um, folks, before we came online about how long it had been since Miles and I had seen each other. And it has been basically we came to the um, the conclusion that it has been too long. So it's, it's really good to talk to Miles and to have you here today. So to start off with, I gave a very, very brief background on you. But if you just want to tell us about like how you got involved in the beef industry, how did you decide to go into veterinary medicine and research and consulting, you know, just give us some background on that. Sure. Uh, so grew up on a, um, you know, I guess kind of backstory from myself. I grew up on a family farm, Calcalf operation, south of Wellington, Kansas. Uh, and going through um, high school or elementary school, my whole whole goal was to be a veterinarian from the day one. Uh, wanted had opportunity to interact with our local veterinarian. Uh, had significant impact on me 
growing up and wanting to, to strive to, to do that. And really the idea from growing up was actually to be primarily a preg check, um, preg check veterinarian. That was, I thought was the end all be all goal. Got to go to, um, like I said, really highlight in my background, lots, lots of purple in my background, go cats. Um, but we have a, that's right, go cats. I can't go wrong there. So got exposed really to the research side through, through undergrad and really started piquing my interest and had to really was like, well, maybe I should focus more onto that than the veterinary school. And uh, department head at the time, I uh, had discussions with, with him and he just looked at me and said, well, Miles, just go do both. You can do that. So just start as a dual dual program and go, go on down the road and you have all your doors open. So I used to say that's where I kind of started in and went through vet school um, and did a concurrent PhD program there. And uh, it was been a great from the from actually the very challenging uh, standpoint to get through school from the veterinary school, the graduate school actually kept me the motivation drive going. Um, and, you know, I, back earlier, I said I started wanting to be a prep check uh, veterinarian and I'm a terrible prep checker. Like just absolutely not one of my, not one of my skill set standpoints. But fortunately enough, from the, from the data and the research side, um, happened to, to come together pretty well and find, following those protocols and developing that. And so it was opportunity to, to marry those things together. And um, had to had the opportunity so post graduation where the the opportunity came up with veterinary research and consulting services um, been a changeover in that organization and was looking for a, a research director and primarily be housed out here in southwest Kansas so um, primarily housed here at High Plains Feed Yard um, and a lot of the the facilities we talk about those here as we move on but um, it was a very unique opportunity and I was like you don't get this opportunity very often to come across and I, I jumped feet first into it and I've uh, been out here for uh, seven years now conducting research projects and then enjoying every minute of it. Well that's awesome I'm laughing at your preg chick joke because I was going to say like I haven't seen you in so long when you're at this end of the state you could just time it up and Come pre check our cows, but you said that you're not very good at it, so I don't know. That I'm <laughs> you don't want to have me probably been too, too long from um, the accuracy wise. It's one of those ones you you can get the hang of it wise back if you get in enough cows. Um, but uh, yeah, probably probably having someone that's experienced and trained in those aspects, and that's the beautiful part about veterinary medicine. Even even when we think about our species specific, you know, experts in the field. Um, there's such a wide diversity within those species over what we can can work on and achieve. And um, the fortunate thing about, about us and our consulting group is we have a great team of veterinarians. So there's there's 12 of us that work together on a day to day basis, and we're we're spread out from uh, from New Mexico to Iowa and Colorado, Wyoming. Just I mean that's our, our where people live. We have a central office in Hayes, but it's just a, it's just an office standpoint. No, um, uh, that's, but we all work together and collaborate and we have these, these knowledge group to bounce ideas off of, and we need someone that's better from a horse handling standpoint. We can bring in, bring in the people. If we need someone that's better from on the cow calf side, on the, on the repro to, to train in the feed yard or, or on the cow calf side, we, we have those, we have that team and, and that's really just allows us to excel and, and more importantly, help our clients. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. So, 
since we're on the topic of veterinary research and consulting services, I had never, I mean, admittedly, I had never heard of the company. I'm not a veterinarian and I also don't own a feed yard. So, you know, it's kind of out of the realm of my, of the things that I work on, but I mean, just tell us more about, about them and, and your role there, like maybe how that, what you do, and then how does that fill your cup working in that role? Cause it's, it's very easy for our audience who is not actually can't see miles, but is just listening to the podcast. You know, like I've known miles for more than a decade, maybe close to, um, actually no 15 years I've known miles or more. And, um, and I can see how excited he is to speak about his role there. And like, he's just speaking with a lot of passion. So let's just get into that and tell us more about what you do there and then how that fills your cup and such. Yeah. So, so VRCS is like we, you know, for our acronym standpoint to keep it short and sweet wise, you hear that re- referred to, but, uh, was, um, originally founded in 1984 by uh, Dr. Dell Miles. And uh, so he saw the, the opportunity that worked for some industry for a while, um, but saw the, you know, the need from a consulting feedlot veterinarian. So go around and training personnel, um, you know, to do the day-to-day activities to make sure we're, we're providing the, the safe and, um, you know, safe and wholesome food supply. And how do we improve, improve these efficiencies? Um, and so, going to the feed yards from a day-to-day operation, looking at new processing protocols, treatment protocols, daily care over how we're handling and feeding cattle uh, was, was where Waddell started at. It was one of the, the first ones to kind of start the, cons- the veterinary consulting services in the feed yard. And so uh, Dell is still involved with our organization. And um, so um, back in, uh, grew, grew that, and then, like I said, back in uh, 2015, uh, Dr. Trent Fox and his wife Mandy bought the practice um, from from Dell, and so um, and then there's been additional younger veterinarians that, that have jumped on on board as well, and so we we've grown that operation. So we are primarily a feedlot veterinary consulting group. We do some dairy work, some um, backgrounding work, cow calf operations as well. Um, but we cover 70 feed yards from Texas to Washington and everywhere in between. And then so every day we have a little over too many head of cattle on feed that's underneath our care, plus dairies, calf ranches um, as well. So um, my role for wow. our team is I'm primary. Yeah, big, big swath there. And like I said, it, it's a lot of, yeah. lot, lot, you know, we think of the animals, but it's more importantly about the people. You know, we talk about that, you know, we're providing care for the animals and developing these protocols, but working with the people to to execute these things on a, on a day-to-day basis. And so um, my role for our team is I'm our research director in data analysis, and uh, we have, uh, so coordinate research projects to really practice evidence-based medicine. Before we go implementing a new, new um, product into the field, uh, we want to make sure that we have sound scientific data that this is going to make an improvement into the, the efficiencies of the animals and not just something that's from really from a test tube lab, like, uh, you know, the idea like more the rubber meets the road. And so coordinate and um, execute uh, looking at new vaccines, feed additives, antibiotic treatments, looking how we use some of those treatments, management strategies dewormers, implants, anything under the sun from how, how we can look at these practices to make more informed decisions. And, and you know, a lot of these things we, we've learned that maybe more is not always better. Um, and, uh, so it's beneficial to the producer's bottom line as well. 
um, to, to how we figure out to, as well as the cattle. So it's a win-win for everyone there. Um, and then I'll also coordinate all of the data uh, for all of those feed yards. We'll, we'll come to a centralized database and we'll do a lot of benchmark reports and um, analysis and provide provide that information to the other team um, that are out there doing from the day-to-day -day consulting that they can utilize that information more real time and help identify trends and opportunities for those individual operations. It sounds like very applied research, right? So there's, I mean, the people on the listening to our podcast know the difference of basic research and applied. And so it sounds very applied, like practical fitting it into the space of a business and the space of a ranch of a feed yard. So um, that that's really interesting. Can you, um, like, can you speak on any, I don't, I'm sure there are proprietary things. Like I understand that. Can you speak about any non-proprietary research that you might be working on in a more specific sense? So a lot of the research, um, we, we, we do a little bit of everything side. So we, we do kind of operate as a contract research organization. And so we'll, we'll do the trials for those companies. Um, and a lot, a lot of that information based off the results will, will be out there um, and, and come into the public domain. And so, you know, some of the recent stuff, we've been looking a lot on over liver abscesses. Um, liver abscesses have been, and I, I know you had TG on here uh, from previous podcasts, which is one, you know, the experts uh, from from liver abscess standpoint. So really looking at how we how we try to manage some of these cattle and, and with, with alternative methods to antibiotics for control of liver abscesses. Um, especially in these uh, beef dairy crosses, which has been a phenomenal growth in, in, in the beef feedlot industry uh, within the last four to five years. And so uh, but we have some, some of that data that's getting ready to be, be released. Um, you know, so may, maybe some of the feed grade antibiotics may not be as effective as what we used to think of in that population. And so other ways that we need to, to think about uh, other options uh, for control methods. Um, and then, you know, so liver abscesses have been, been a hot button, but we've done multiple different vaccine trials. Uh, so looking at um, some of the, the you know, um, newer um Manheimia product, so it's got a little bit of age on it now, but so a product called, um, or is a Manheimia product provided by Alenco um, called Nupura was, was a, a recent, recently one they put a lot more emphasis on. So we did a, did a trial comparing that to our, our typical uh, to a tr traditional feed yard application over pre-spawns, and, and saw no difference between those products, and and so. At the end of the day, that's a great aspect for us into the feed yard option because we're due to supply issues as, as we've been through these last years and learning more and more how that occurs. Um, we have more options that, that we, more tools in our toolbox if we need to switch gears and we know that we, we won't impact bottom line or performance. And it also does from a cost comparatively for our clients where they can bid those bid those products to use the most economical one and, and no no impact on animal health outcomes. I mean, Miles, based on what you just said, like it's not like you guys are doing research on one very specific group of antimicrobials or, or vaccines or something. Like you have a very broad, you know, range of research that you're working on. And it seems like that, you know, that's going to be very educational for the folks, you know, for your clients that are commissioning the research, but also for the broader beef industry, you know, feed yards, 
other veterinarian professionals. Like, I know that education is really important to you because you've told me that before and, and such, but both inside and outside of the beef industry. So can you speak a little bit more about that? What do you, you know, clarify maybe what do you mean about education inside the beef industry and education outside? Like, you know, do you have some specific thoughts you can share on that? Uh, sure. Be happy to. So I, I think education is a key component for, for, for all of us and why it's it's great to do the, these research topics and find that, you know, share that results with with other colleagues and whether that's through publishing still in scientific journals, even though not not in the academic industry, we still still do a significant amount of, of publishing into the peer reviewed journals to make the make the data available for for the industry to um, make more more informed decisions for not, not only our own for our own organization but for everyone and and we'll share that information uh, you know from our um, you know veterinary conferences so being ready to go here at the end of this week to, uh, to the American Association of bovine practitioners to do some research summaries um, and then you know I'll be presenting at our Academy of veterinary consultants um, that, that t- shares a lot with the education of, of the veterinary profession. So uh, we, we do a lot of that, but um, fortunately also to go through with that. So um, I'm housed here at High Plains Feed Yard. I'm located here at Montezuma. And so the feed yard, uh, like I said, when, when the opportunity came, came open, uh, the feed yard had the blueprints for this education and research center, uh, which we had our open house in, in, in August of, of 2017. And so in this facility, we have a state-of-the-art processing facility, a uh, 200-person banquet hall that will host um, in, informational meetings. So uh, we used to host a lot of over antimicrobial resistance and we had representatives from CDC, USDA, FDA, and then we had over 35% of the U.S. cattle and feed represented by owners or managers into the audience, as well as industry people as well. Um, just kind of sharing some of these new tools, technologies, what's coming down the pike. Um, it, how do we? How do we? How do we make things together to improve and and, and be, pre- be prepared? Uh, also, the facility though we do a lot of education outside outside the beef industry. So you know, so we'll do a lot of our end users. So uh, we've been fortunate enough to work for the uh, Certified Angus Beef to bring their master brands chefs out on tour groups and so show them from the feed yard and bring them here through the processing facility and. Um, actually process some cattle with them and show them the lo- low stress handling methods and how, how we use cow um, you move cattle through the facility actually let them process a few of them if they have that interest and then um, we can go into our banquet hall and have have discussions over what they're seeing from their consumers and, and demands and and how can we help start to steer steer the uh, steer the industry uh, to, to meet the needs of our society. Uh, it's been it's been a really unique unique operation to have this and in the mid in this in the middle of the feed yard where we can have these discussions and then load up and go look at the feed mill or cattle or to you know provide really just from taking it to the hands-on approach. I say also to go on with that was you know we'll do a lot of student leadership uh, training so bring in a lot of you know area high schools even though we're in the rural. Rural Kansas in the heart of feedlot country, 
so how surprising how many of the students that don't have really a clue what goes on in a, in a feed yard or, or production agriculture from a day-to-day operation. So we'll bring fourth through fourth graders through high schools in here for educational events and let them show, you know, touch, feel, get their hands dirty. Let them educate all, all the options uh, for what, what's out there and, and realize that, you know, that, that they may not have to go, um, you know, away from rural Kansas to have a successful career. There's, there's tons and tons of opportunities here. And so, um, Get, seeing the, the light bulb click on some of those students, even just one of those students in, in those events is well worthwhile. Uh, makes 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 it all enjoyable. And, and that's that's the that's the heart and soul over everything. You know, I love working with cattle, but at the end of the day, it's the people and the people you get to work with from a day to day basis. Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I agree. Like, I, I like the cows, but I like the people that I get to meet because of the cows, too. Like, so that's that's really great. Um so when you're exclusively a high plains then, right? Like you're not going to other feed yards or you go to high plains every day. So about about 90% of my time is employed is here at high plains feed yard, kind of overseeing the research projects. Uh, we will, uh, I do do some other consulting and some uh, dairy feed yards, backgrounding operations as well uh, to, to get out, but pr- primarily and also partially employed by, by the feed yard here as well from being here for a majority amount of my time. Uh, so it's been a been a unique unique uh, unique situation for for all involved. Okay, I mean that's amazing that they have that you know that banquet hall there and then the educational center. That's just phenomenal, not only for industry education like what you're speaking about, continuing education, new technologies, hands on things like that, but what you were speaking about like with the younger generation, you know, middle school, high school, that kind of thing. You're really right. I mean, I I grew up in rural America just like you did. Um, and I thought like the only careers that were going to be available to me coming back to rural America, were going to be, you know, working as a, like a farm insurance agent or like a farm lender or something like I didn't, or being a vet, like those were a vet ag teacher, farm insurance agent. Like those were kind of the three things that I was familiar with. And I mean, and I don't do any of those things now. So it's really nice to, you know, it's important for kids in rural America to know that you can stay at home, you know, stay in your home county or whatever in your home and have that production agriculture experience that you wanted that you were growing up. But you can still also have a successful career like you don't have to choose one. It might be more work and it's difficult, you know, to logistically to make it all work. But you can have both of those things that fulfill you and make you happy. So that's that's great that you not only work somewhere that recognizes that, but that you get to pour into those kids as well. So. Um, I'm not surprised that you're doing something that you're giving back like that at all. So that's great to hear. Yeah, no, it's, it's really, re- really rewarding to, to like, so watch the students just to, to their eyes open and go, Oh, I, you know, hearing a few of them, I want to work here when I get out of school. I mean, that, you know, like didn't know that, like, uh, I was like, well, that just goes to show that, you know, we talk about from an education side over, you know, how do we reach, you know, students and, New York or LA that's, you know, have concrete everywhere. And don't get me wrong, we still need to continue to do efforts to them because um, great opportunities there as well, but we don't need to forget what's in our back door as well. Absolutely. You have to tell them though that you, they can't, I mean, 
they can't work. You're there right now. They can't like shove you out. So, so earlier, let me find it. You were speaking about beef on dairy and that you just briefly mentioned it. And that has become like, I remember when I first started, you know, um, at Red Angus, I remember that was kind of just coming, getting a little bit more discussion. That would have been in 2017. And now it seems like it's fully everywhere. You know, it's, it's a, it's a, um, it's a being, it's an embraced concept. Can you, I mean, what are your thoughts on beef on dairy? Like you're doing research with these kinds of cattle, you know, what are you seeing maybe just from like a, a broad perspective? So, yeah, we have really seen that uh, the beef on dairy cross has really increased in popularity uh, within the last five to six years. Uh, we've done a, done um, a lot of that. You look at here, here last couple of years, especially if you look current year from the cattle supply numbers, uh, more and more feedlots are looking at these as, uh, as other options to, to have cattle on feed. Uh, so uh, the popularity has really increased. Um, we, the, the genetic companies have done a tremendous job over improving the quality uh, quality product that's provided to just able to be provided to the feed yard. Uh, so uh, very fortunate. So even before I started here at High Plains, they started doing work research onto these beef dairy crosses. And our first closeouts actually go back to 2012, where we um, oh, wow. had okay. some of those. And so they were kind of all over the place and brought in a brought in a genetic company and um so that helps help kind of realize to stay, take out some of the yo-yo effect and um been at the end of the result creates a really consistent product wholesome product we've done a lot of work um with texas tech to do the flavor profile and the meat quality standpoint over um trying to verify what that is going into the, the end consumer. And it provides a tremendous, it's a, it's a flavorful profile, very tender, tender. Um, it's highly in demand by the consumers. And so uh, we've done some work to shape the ribeye to make that a, a little more consistent uh, versus you think of from the Holstein side with the longer tail on the shape of that ribeye, some of the consumers don't, don't they see that in a retail case and they balk at that because it looks different. It tastes the same, but it looks different. And so have done, uh, done a lot of work to help provide that feedback and collect that data and, and make those genetic selections uh, to help change the shape of that, to get a, get a ribeye, the same, same size shape uh, as your traditional traditional beef breed cattle. And so, I mean, at the end of the day, I think we, we continue to see see more and more of these uh, composites. They're, they're going in more places than what they have done before because just for a lot of them, the cattle supply issue, but also from the consistency of the product. Uh, you know, let's say all that, uh, you know, liver abscesses, as kind of talked before, they're, they're not, they're not all the greatest thing in the, in the world. There, there are issues with them, whether it's health issues that's going through um, from the, the calf ranch all the way through to, to the feed yard. Uh, sometimes you look at some of these vaccination protocols because they're, they're easier to get to. It seems like we like to put put more more things inside of them, which maybe is not always as good. Uh, so uh, it sometimes cause more of a health issue as we, we get here to the feed yard. Uh, and then liver abscesses uh, are, are a significant issue in these dairy crosses. And which was the same with the Holsteins uh, side as well. 
but we really need to figure out methods and options how to control those um, reduce reduce those and control those uh, effectively uh, for for you know just from the trim loss and uh, the when we get to the packing plant and having to slow that chain speed just um, is really detrimental to efficiencies from the packing plant and a lot of labor labor there to trim all of those out and so it's a big loss and also a big loss onto the cattle efficiency side so we need to really uh, dig into the root cause of that and so we um, have a study working on so except for some of the feed additive side but really looking at them from a genetic component, health component, um, for we've done some retrospective analysis trying to dig to to the some of these root causes to put these pieces together. Or, I mean, not only expect us, I don't, not expect us to eliminate it, but if we can get that down to manageable to compare to their traditional beef breeds, that would make the, these these dairy beef crosses even more um, more appealing to the industry. Gotcha. Well, that's certainly interesting. Um, you were speaking, so you touched on this, and this is where I, I was writing this down as you were saying it. So you said that shoppers are really liking it, are really liking the beef on dairy, like the steaks, you know, the ribeyes after they've got you. Um, you said there's like been genetic, brought in genetics to kind of bring that tail up and stuff like that. Um, so the like the flavor and profile, the flavor and taste profiling that's being done at Texas Tech, are so they're not finding much different between like, conventional beef and the beef on dairy or are they are the those testers are they liking it more um i'm because i'm very curious i'm i don't know that i don't know that i've ever tried it we eat a late i mean we eat beef out of our freezer and i know that we've never done dairy beef but i'm realizing like i guess i wouldn't know if i was at the grocery store and i had beef on dairy because it's not going to be and it doesn't need to be labeled that way it's not like a different product or anything so i guess i wouldn't know i'm just talking through this sorry <laughs> yeah, you know, and a lot of that's what you're seeing that's going through there from the retail that that you don't know. Um, so what the, what tech have seen is uh, uh, has a numerical um, improvement in, in flavor profile in the in the dairy uh, dairy crosses compared to the traditional beef breeds. And so when, when you think from the Holstein side, uh, you look back at some of that data, uh, very flavorful, very tender. So able um, basically kind of splitting a difference in both of those categories um, compared to our traditional beef uh, breeds. Uh, however, we've seen an improvement in, in, in improvement in feedlot performance, so a lot more efficiency to get there. And so, so that's where where it makes it a lot more appealing to the feed yards because we don't have to have these on feed as as near as long. We can get more gains and and conversions. Um, improved conversions out of them. So uh, compared to the Holstein side, so it's kind of the, a mixture of both worlds. And how do we um, still trying to figure out how ways we we continue to make improvements throughout that supply chain? Uh, but the the when you get to the we've done the work to the validation work to to say, hey, would we be able to detect these differences? And the answer is is, is no, or if, if you do, you would like them a little bit better than what, the, what you had before. So there's not that concern as, as you look at these numbers that's entering into the supply chain. I really want to try it. I mean, it's it's not like it's it's not alternative beef, you know, it's, it's, it's beef, but I'm confident that I haven't had a steak from a beef on dairy animal in like three years at least not on per, I guess, I mean, we're, like I said, we are eating the food, the beef from our own freezer. So unless I guess I was at a, a restaurant in order to steak, but I just find that really fascinating because, you know, for a long time, 
it seemed as if, you know, Holstein beef, like when I was growing up, I know that that was um, unfortunately like, you know, looked down upon because it wasn't a beef animal, but it's just really interesting to see how the industry has progressed to like, oh yeah, like these two things have hybrid vigor and can be complementary, And so it's just really interesting to see that development and hear such positive outcomes from the research that you've done, but also from just general, you know, like proof points in the industry. That's, that's really encouraging to me. I mean, anytime we have more choice or high choice beef that is being demanded by customers, I think that the, by grocery shoppers, I think that's really important. Yeah. And it, it's a tremendous model that we can do from a sustainability aspect as well. So, I mean, by improving, you know, from the, the amount of resources to provide that, uh, you know, to get that creature to the end point uh, significantly less. And so it, it's a great for, for everyone involved. So just to clarify, it takes less, it's more feed efficient to feed a beef on dairy animal than it is a beef animal or dairy. So I'm a dairy, from a dairy, from a comparing to the dairy um, whole standpoint. Gotcha. So, that's what I thought you, that's what I thought you were saying. I was just confirming that for my own, you know, knowledge. So um, that I just find, I know that that's not probably what you planned on talking about today, but I just, I find that really interesting. I like innovation, you know, and I like changing things from the way that we've always done them. I think that that's not a great mindset to have. Like that's the way we've always done things. You know, that's, that's how you stay stuck in the past. So I, that's, I find that all really fascinating. And, and I appreciate you sharing that with us. Cause I didn't know we were going to get to talk about that today. So I know it's fine. It wasn't a curveball. I, like I said, I found it really interesting. Um, pivoting a bit when you are not working what kind of hobbies are you filling your time with? I haven't got to hang out and stuff like that since we were in college. So I don't know what you're up to much these days with that. But, you know, do you have any time to any time for hobbies or anything like that? So, so trying to make some time to, to get out and get away, um, you know, spend time with family and uh, enjoy, enjoy watching the, the good sport sporting events standpoint. And uh, also, you know, from, from going out to, uh, Going out and play, playing a little bit of golf. Um, so get a, get, get, a group of, get a group together, and um, it's been kind of enjoyable just to kind of go out and get away, get your mind mindset on something else. And um, you know, it can be a pretty aggravating game, but so so can be the feed yard industry at times. So there's a lot of some similarities, um, but uh, it can yeah. be pretty, pretty rewarding too. And so it only seems to take like one shot to go. All right, yep, I guess I'd be enough to come back in here in a couple next week or so so um it's been 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 something i've, I've tried to try to do uh keep some of the work-life balance in, in play good i'm glad to hear that you're making some time for for the fun stuff too i mean clearly you enjoy your work but it's nice to turn work off every once in a while it's time for our famous three that's all of my serious questions i have these wrap-up questions i gave you a heads up on these we ask these of every guest so the first one of these is, what is your favorite beef or cattle related book or resource? It doesn't have to be a book. It could be a website or something. I did have three, I interviewed three different professionals from Florida and they all gave me the same book. So I thought that, that was really, that was really interesting to me. So anyway. So one of the, I think the ideas that we look at here from a resource on the veterinary side that I use pretty frequently is the Merck Veterinary Manual um, website. So is it's a great way is different different disease topics to get a quick overview 
over um, what we're dealing with and you know, obviously can dig in more depth with them, but it, but it provides, spend a tremendous amount of resources to put those those topics and provide tremendous um, necropsy pictures and, and you know, we can utilize some of those for, for our, leave them with our clients to, to provide examples. Um, you know, so it's been, that's been a tremendous resource to, to help, help us identify what's the root cause going on with some of these instances. Okay. I had not had one that, that yet. So that was a good one. I haven't heard that one yet. Um, all right. Now, what is a book that is not related to beef or cattle that you are currently reading? Or a favorite one. If you're not reading a book right now, what's a favorite? So, so that's probably one of the weird parts with with me is because uh, my other half she likes to read books and read a lot for job and computer wise standpoint. Where I'm, I'm not a big reader afterwards, um, but a lot of the times driving um, from from different location standpoint, I love to listen to this podcast. And so, and talk about some of the golf standpoint wise. There's a there's a golf uh, there. Uh, golf podcast uh, is what it's called called and it's just kind of a great it kind of gives us you know, about 30 40 minute um just different synopsis different courses they played whether they laid out different discussion groups with some of the new tools and technologies um so it's kind of i kind of eat that up because it's like okay it's something from a different different industry and how they're working through to to try to make improvements for the game and so um i try to listen to that for the way on some of my drives it's a different kind of research. It's still research, but I've definitely never got definitely never gotten a golf podcast as your favorite non-related beef industry book. So you get to you're the first for that category. So that's good. Okay, and then the last one is when you think of someone that you admire, what is a trait that person possesses that has enabled them to be successful? So the people that I admire have been great mentors um, throughout my career. Um, I've been very, very fortunate and, you know, um, and some of the, the best things that they're very dependable and you, and you can all, you know, they're going to tell you what they think um, and what's needed to be done. Um, but, and you can always, always, always re- depend on, I mean, they're going to be there day in and day out for you um, and provide that information uh, when needed, but they're also going to let you go out and make, make your own decisions and reap your own rewards or, um, you know, deal with the consequences too. So you, you learn from that as well. So um, I I think that those, those attitudes and responsibilities that they can um, are being there um, have, have provided tremendous tremendous resources for me to, to get to where I'm at today. Okay. I agree. It's really easy to trust someone when you know that they're going to be there no matter what. That's a, that is a, I believe an underrated, um, an underrated characteristic. So, well, Miles, sadly, that is all the time we have for today and all the questions I have. Um, I would love to talk with you another hour, but sadly we can't. Um, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It was really good to see your face and talk to you and also share, share, hear what you've been up to and share more about your, yourself and your research and all the great work you're doing on behalf of the beef industry. If people want to find out more information about your work or the veterinary, um, I'm sorry, the veterinary research and consulting service VRCS, if they want to learn more about that or you or, or get in contact with you, this is your chance to give that plug and tell people where they can find those things. 
Sure. No, I've been great really catching up and talking about things. So uh, hopefully we can do it again sometime in the future and more or in between that you and I need to catch up. But I'm uh, happy to. Um, so yeah, feel, feel free. So our veterinary research and consulting service website is, is brcsllc.com. And then um, my, my email address will be miles at brcsllc.com. Um, feel free to, to, to email me, um, you know, and, and or, or reach out to and see our company. I'm happy to provide any information or follow-up topics um, that any of the viewers may have. Okay, that's great. So that is www.vrcsllc.com. For those of you who are listening, I'm putting that in the show notes. I've also put Miles' email address in there. I've put that in the show notes so you can find that at the bottom of your screen. Miles, thank you again for being here. It was really nice to talk to you. And we cannot let so many years go by again before we see each other's faces. So we'll have to meet up at a K-State sporting event or something like that, or maybe a KLA meeting, or I don't know, something. We've got we to gotta run into each other. So uh, thank you for joining us to our audience. Thank you for tuning in. And we will hope that you, we hope that you will join us again next week on the Beef Podcast.